stayed at the Ace Hotel Call it loud I would just be floating to you now It would make it pass to let it pass on I'm climbing the dash Let's It gave me a chance to really push my boundaries all the time. It left me very open to judgment by other people. We're always growing and, and changing, hopefully, ideally. That's what's happening. And I like to be able to look back and sometimes cringe and sometimes say, what was I thinking? And then other times say, wow, that was I'm really proud of that. This podcast episode is brought to you by Biotropic Labs. We are innovators and leaders in competitive edge sports supplements. Enjoy this special podcast episode and help us spread the word. Have fun. Well, I'm really thrilled to have someone very special to me today. We just become friends. This is Stephanie Quinn. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's going to be a blast. So I got a shout out from you on Twitter for the products that I market. And I was thinking, oh, how cool. This uh, this fitness woman in Austin has given me a hit. That's really cool. I wonder who she is. I better connect with her. And it was only like three days later that I found out that you were a winner of one of my contests. Yeah. You call yourself a rule bender. What's a rule bender and why are you a rule bender? I think part of it stems from the fact that I have a highly curious nature. And I like to test boundaries. And in a lot of ways, that's a great thing. And in other ways, it can be it can be tough to handle, not only for myself, but for the people you know around me and in my life, and especially for the ones responsible for me, like my mother, when I'm two and I'm hurling myself over a wall, and she, you know she's just standing there, not knowing what to do. So it's just part of the way that I'm I'm built, and I, I have better control now as an adult, obviously, in awareness and discipline. But it's always there for me. Do you think there were any obstacles or barriers in the way that made you feel like this is just in the way of what I need to do and there's sort of a social rule here or some sort of construct that says, you know, I should do it this way and I'm not going to do it this way? Do you think there's anything to that? There is. I think that I'm faced with that every single day. I've worked really hard to not only develop a strong sense of self, but in that accept myself and realize that when I stop and look around me and I see people doing things in a, in a different way than I do, and by that I mean possibly a more socially acceptable way, the way people dress or the types of jobs that they have or the paths that they've chosen in life, it's almost a challenge for me at times to remove the judgment that I have on myself for not doing things so that way, you get more questions. And I don't necessarily think that there's always a negative connotation there, but I think for a lot of people looking at what I do or the choices that I've made or the risks that I've taken, there's kind of a wow factor. And I don't always know that that's a complimentary thing. So you call yourself a social alchemist. What's that? I don't know if I was being funny. It's part of my snarky attitude. I just wanted to find a way to explain or maybe describe. It's like a mishmash of things. And I utilize social channels to 
sort of maintain those things. Does that make sense? <laughs> I came up with a social alchemist thing maybe two years ago or something, and I really liked the way that it sounded, and I felt that it was aptly put, and so I've stuck with it. I think that's actually maybe on my LinkedIn, which is another odd thing. People look at that, and they're like, this is a professional network, and she's calling herself a social alchemist, and there's no drop-down category for that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your acting. We're, you know, we, we know you're an athlete, and you do some crazy stuff out there, <laughs> but before we get to it, I want to talk a little bit about acting, because you've got a great background there. So acting is in your blood and in your family. Isn't that right? Well, I actually, so my family wasn't so much in, in acting. My dad uh, was a musician his whole life and music teacher. And so I started violin at like two years old or something like that and moved into all different kinds of music after that and got into singing and that led to theater and, and acting in school. But I can, I can draw the line back to growing up where I did in little Marquette, Michigan. We didn't have a lifestyle around television or technology or video games or any of those types of things um, that, you know, some of which I'm so fond of today um, and our vehicles for, for how I made my living for a long time. But we were out in the woods and left to our own devices and had to be really creative in, in the ways that we entertained ourselves. And having that music background, um, Gosh, one of my earliest memories around performance outside of standard recitals and things um, was having quote unquote concerts in my in my basement or plays and, and charging my friends and my family or neighbors or whoever would come like a quarter to come watch me lip sync to Bruce Springsteen in my basement or whatever lunacy was happening at the time. And I just... I just had that and I loved it. And I get the question a lot. I still get it. You know, how did you get into acting? How did you get into performing? How did you get into dance? And I didn't get into it. I was, it's been my whole life and it's just kind of part of who I am that I love doing it. You, you mentioned your father's uh, not really, not really an actor. He's a musician. Music is pretty serious performance art. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. No, that's true. And I should have, I should have said that differently. He definitely is a performer, actor, um, but you know, it just, it stemmed from music. And I guess that's where mine stems from too, because of him and because he helped me foster those talents and grow them and help me to understand them and was so patient and relentless with me because too, I, I would do it and I played my instruments and I practiced and I stayed with it, but I was always trying to break into something else. So violin, I got boards and I wanted to play the flute and then I had to play the saxophone and then I wanted, it was always something else. And so he just kept handing me new instruments or finding new ways for me to exercise the talents that I had to make it work. So I would continue. Um, so that's probably, you know, the building blocks of that for me. They come from him. I love music so much. It's one of my first loves and one of the first things I feel like I understood, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so that stuff comes from my dad. I think if I hadn't had that music background and at such a young age, I may not have, you know, been led into acting and plays and theater and all of that to begin with. What's your favorite instrument? Right now, probably guitar. I think it's such a vers versatile instrument and Spanish guitar, especially. And I love it. It's just soothing and beautiful and probably, probably my favorite. In a way, really, you move from, from music into acting. Would that be true? Absolutely. Yeah. 
tell me about the transition from music to acting. Obviously, in school, I was in I was involved in the plays that we did. I don't know. I guess they were two or three times a year, um, and I was also lucky enough. I'm. I don't consider myself to be a religious person, but have enjoyed church at different points in my life. And when I was in middle school and high school, I had a good friend who lived across the street and we spent a lot of time together and they had this really cool youth group at their church. So if you went to church on Sundays, you got to go to the youth group on Wednesday evenings and they did all these cool volunteer things and and races and group kid things. And it's just, you know, a bunch of kids your age. And I really, really liked it. And also that organization did what they called operettas four times a year. And they were church plays um, with singing and music and acting and all of that stuff. And I happened to go on a Wednesday evening when they were having auditions for this upcoming operetta that I didn't even know about. And Kristen, my girlfriend that I was with, is like, well, I guess, I mean, you could, you could try. I mean, you didn't practice or you don't know the lines, but you should just go in and audition. Everybody else is I'm like, okay. So I went in and I got the lead role for the operetta <laughs> and everybody was mad. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I didn't expect it. And then I was, so I was doing the church play circuit too, which was really kind of funny and a little bit ironic to me, but um, yeah. So I, I just kept getting involved in new things without truly seeking them out. So you know, that part of my journey is interesting to me as well, that a lot of this stuff has sort of come my way or I've happened into it. So it's been a lucky thing. In 2016, you completed something called an evening run and you're a runner in it. Tell us real quick about that. That uh, was directed and written and produced, and I don't even know what else I could credit with him, but by a local filmmaker uh, named Christian Bowman. And he super talented guy and always writing unique stuff. And it's a short film. And by short, I think this one's 16 or 18 minutes long. It's a thriller mystery. And it's, I believe one of the two films in which I've died in, I have been pretty lucky to not have been killed off many times. And in this one, I died pretty, pretty quickly um, into the film. And it was actually one of one of the toughest shoots I've ever done. Um, I, I was killed by asphyxiation and then buried and you have to act through that. So I was covered in saran wrap and I couldn't breathe very well. And I had dirt thrown on my head and you have to go to some pretty dark, ugly places to pull that off. Um, and the other thing I remember about it was very cold outside and I had the flu. So that kind of rounds that experience out for me where it was, it was a really interesting shoot and he executed it so well and it came out, you know, amazing. He did a great job with it, but it was, that was an emotional experience for sure. How do you get in touch with that moment, that mood and, and deliver that line? Anybody can deliver the line. Anyone can act it out, but how do you do it so that it's real and authentic and how do you get all of that noise around you that's going on away so that you're in the moment, everything's blocked out and you are that person in that pain, in that dark place. I love this question. And there are so many, so many points that you just made that I'm focusing on that are, that are valid. And then I want to speak to, and that all sort of blend together to create that, 
ability or that awareness or that person that you need to be to do it. And I, I guess I'll start off by saying, if it's any consolation to you, when I watch myself still now, and I try not to do it, I try to, I, there have been times when I have put my hands over my eyes or plugged my ears or left a room or <laughs> crawled under a table. It's really, really hard to watch yourself. And it sort of goes back to what I was talking about, that self-love and acceptance. And, you know, if, if you had to watch the way that other people see you or hear you or judge you or look at you all of the time, that's, it's a really hard thing to do. And I think that that might be one of the things that people don't think about where actors are concerned very often is at the level of like self-conscious, anxious, unsure, all of those icky bits and pieces that exist in our everyday life that you sort of have blips of, but kind of learn to brush off as you go through life. They exist in such a real and loud and often big screen form for actors that it's, it's humbling and it's daunting and it never gets easier or better. You just have to kind of sit through it. <laughs> and so I think that it magnifies all of the things that we're already self-conscious about or want to change about ourselves or wish we're different or however you want to say it. it's very difficult. So you mentioned that you cringe a little bit and you it's hard to watch yourself and you you wonder what other people are thinking after the fact mm -hmm. when the work mm -hmm. is done and you have some difficulty with that, right? Yeah. Okay, but you get it twice because mm -hmm. you have to deal with the aftermath, but let's back up to when you're doing it. You have to do it real time with people mm -hmm. watching, with actors, actresses mm -hmm. that right there with you and a bunch of people all around you. How do you how do you go through that process when it's live and in real time? I was in another film in 2016, and it's one of the films that I'm probably the most proud of. Um, the company that I was in and the production crew and the man who wrote and directed it, his name is Tony Hubbard. Um, that film pushed me so far out of my comfort zone and the boundaries that I've set up for myself that... I'm the most uncomfortable that I've ever been. And it was also the most validating and wonderful experience. And I probably achieved my best work in it. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty simple story. It's a, it's a love story, breakup story. Um, and it's two people breaking up who truly love each other and who don't want to. It's one of those, I don't want to, I have to type of situations. And throughout most of the film, we're either uncomfortable in a space together, arguing or crying. And, you know, you see these scenes in films where actors are emotional in an uncomfortable way or crying. But the part that you don't realize is that that scene took three days. So can you imagine crying for three days or having to dig up icky pieces of your life or heartbreaks or past things that make you really, really sad and then hang on to those things so tightly that you actually re-experience that pain and then you do it in front of 30 people. So that's what that is. I mean, that's the nitty gritty bottom line of what it is that you have to be open enough with yourself and as a person and brave enough to say, okay, what is what have I experienced in my life that's relatable to this and that puts me as close to this situation as I can get if I haven't been in it. 
and then dig all of that back up and have that be your current life. So you're sort of living in an alternate reality in a way. And when you walk off set, those feelings don't dissipate. They don't go somewhere else. Like I always explain to people, like if somebody has passed away or you've had a heartbreak or whatever it is that you walk around with that horrible, heavy, sad feeling, and you just sort of have to wait it out and heal it. So what happens when you dig that stuff back up, you have to reprocess to get back out of it. So, you know, tempering that with real life and having to function in society and be out in public and, and have other responsibilities is a really difficult, it's a difficult balance. I don't know if there's a way to be good at it. Well, what's amazing to me is that you have to completely bear yourself, be raw, uh, fall into character. And then what it sounds like you're saying is that it's tough over the next several days to completely pull out of that character. Yeah, I mean, after a, we joke on set, you know, when you wrap a film, there's there's a hangover period, there's a healing period, and you get into these set situations for weeks at a time or whatever it is, and that's what your life becomes, and those emotions become real, and you spend a couple of weeks leading into it, practicing and rehearsing and getting comfortable with your co-stars and other people that are going to be there, and then you know, you wrap the film and you go home and all of a sudden it's like, where did all of these people go who understand where my, they understand my headspace and they understand my emotional space and who's going to bring me my food. I mean, it's simple. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but when you're on set, all of a world sort of exists for you, you're in a bubble. And so when you break back out of that bubble, it's like, wow, I have to grocery shop and I have to get back on a normal sleep schedule where I'm sleeping more than three or four hours. And Tony's not yelling cut and there's no lights in my face. And why? Wait, I don't remember why I'm crying anymore. (laughs) And I think that that's been an interesting piece of my life and my relationships and my ability to connect in in a more normal way with other people is that that can be a hard person to live with. I mean, imagine having a partner who is experiencing emotions that aren't really happening, but actually being there and functioning next to you. That's a tough, that's a tough thing for normal people. It's tough for me being that way or, you know, taking that on. But I can imagine for the people that have to cope with that, who don't understand it and who aren't experiencing it, it's, it can be, it can be challenging to have a, again, quote unquote, normal type of life or relationships when you're in and out of situations like that. As you learn to accept yourself, it's easier to accept other people, whatever that means. And I, I have found, at least for me in my life experience, the people who make me uncomfortable or I have trouble coping with are generally the ones with strong characteristics that maybe I don't like about myself. And so it's easy to be defensive around those people or maybe hear them less well than we would someone who we thought was going to give us positive feedback constantly or work to make us comfortable. I think it's important. And I have a better life experience being able to look at something and have that snap judgment and then take a minute and back off of that and maybe look a little bit more closely at what's happening and then understand that I don't understand what's happening for that person. And I just think that that makes 
the flow in life and relationships so much easier to deal with that it's not about us all the time for ourselves or for anybody else. And so if we can take that out of the situation and, and stop with the judgments as often or realize where they're coming from, maybe it does, it makes it easier to, to get along with people. Let me ask you about this, um, this next movie. Give me a quick breakdown of this character. Okay, I love this one. This is called Love and Air Sex. And oh, boy. <laughs> your character was the freak dancing girl. So tell me about, tell me about that. Why did they call me that? Like, who in casting <laughs> names people that? Oh, my gosh. That was such a fun film. So apparently, and I didn't know until the film that this goes on. And I think maybe they're hosted by Alamo draft houses and places like this, that people go up on stage. They they volunteer to do this. No, actually they go there in order to be allowed to do this, go up on stage and simulate in creative ways, sex acts alone, all by themselves. They bring props, they bring marshmallows, they bring scarves, they bring all these weird things and they entertain the audience by participating in this madness (laughs) and so this film it's it's again it's a love story and it's actually beautiful and it's so well written and um they filmed most of it in austin some of it was in california and i i can't remember what else i was working on another project at the time and they wanted me on the film and we just couldn't find a good fit but Uh, they're like, well, we have this character and we only need you on set for two days. Can you do that? And so I worked my schedule around and, um, was able to do it. And I had so much fun. The cast was amazing, but my scene is in a club, in a bar and two of the, the main characters in the film are sitting, having a conversation and I'm essentially behind them dancing dancing and I use that term lightly don't know what I was doing I sort of attacked this guy and then we're dancing and I think they call this an STD sandwich I mean it was just it's kind of a gross scene but it is entertaining and it is funny and it plays well with the film so if you saw it maybe maybe I made it sound grosser than it is but you can rent it on iTunes you can watch it on YouTube now I think it might even be on the Netflix um it's a pretty fun film um great cast and really interesting. And like I said, at the end of the day, a sweet love story about a couple who gets back together through their time in Austin. And if you're from Austin, so fun to watch because there's all these iconic places that you'll recognize. Um, so it's a good time. Let me ask you about one more movie. There's more in here, but I'm going to stop at this because it's another great, uh, another great, uh, title and another great part. It's called butcher boys. And you played the captive beauty. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Butcher Boys. You know, Butcher Boys was another one of those that just sort of found me and I happened to be in town and available. And I really liked um, the concept, I guess. But I have to say that a lot of the I sort of uh, said that I had an Austin rap pack in the acting community for a long time. There was a group of a dozen of us or so that seemed to be getting cast together really often. Um, over a period of years, which is such an awesome experience to get to act with people that you know or that you you understand them pretty well. So things just get so good. Um, you really get to dive into things. And that's another difference between film and commercials, that if you're in a film, you get some time to sort of dig into your character and get comfortable with the people around you. And when you have a setup where you walk into a 
kind of comfort zone, I guess, it makes things so much better because um, you have those existing relationships. And I've met several more people on that set that were working on that film in different capacities that I just absolutely loved and appreciated and loved their work. And many of them are, are still doing extremely amazing projects and are just really, really good at what they do. So my appreciation for that film goes to the people that I met and, and the work that I was able to do. One of the things he said earlier was that acting sort of found its way to you. So for a lot of people, there's an allure and they get pulled into it. So I'd like to ask you two questions here. Um, the first is, what is the general allure that most people have that pulled them into acting? And since it found you, what was the allure that kept you in it? For me, it was always that creative outlet. It was always that I knew that I, it was going to be uncomfortable that I knew I was going to, this all sounds sort of sick and twisted and maybe, maybe I should be telling my therapist this stuff, but it was about being made to feel uncomfortable as odd as that sounds. Um, it gave me a chance to really push my boundaries all the time. It left me very open to judgment by other people, which is so uncomfortable and I hated it, but at the same time learned so much from it about myself and other people. Um, and it made me proud. It, it gives you a living diary of your life and the different spaces that you're in. And, and honestly, the different people that you are at different points in time, which I believe I, you know, people kind of say, well, gosh, I'm not the same as I was when I was 18. I'm not the same person that I was two years ago. I feel like, you know, we grow more in sometimes shorter periods of time and maybe a little bit less over a longer period of time, but we're always growing and, and changing. Hopefully, ideally that's what's happening. And I like to be able to look back and sometimes cringe and sometimes say, what was I thinking? And then other times say, wow, that was I'm really proud of that. And I think that those have, those have been important to me um, because it reminds me if I'm being hard on myself or down on myself, how far I've come and how willing I've been to get outside of my comfort zone, which I preach about all the time. And at the same time, it keeps you aware. Of maybe you suck a little bit at times in life. You do. We all do. And that's okay. It's absolutely okay because if we don't suck, then we don't know when we're good and when we're winning. And you need that, that balance. And so acting has done that for me in a really cool way. You seem to be attracted to all that stuff that was outside your comfort zone early on. And I'm wondering, were you working, did, was acting a way for you to subconsciously early on work something out? I think absolutely it was. And again, going back to my hometown, I was having a conversation with somebody very dear to me the other day. And I was describing to him how as a kid and, and the way that I, I don't want, I don't want to call it like the social boundaries or expectations. This is exactly what I said. I said it was very confusing as a child to have really big emotions and feel things very deeply, but not have a great outlet for expressing them because everything was sort of like status quo all the time. I can remember having deaths happen in the family or people close to us and not seeing anybody cry and not seeing everybody kind of lose their shit. And there's no other way to say that. I, everybody sort of stayed very calm and very even. I was never yelled at as a child. 
my mother could shame me with her eyes, like just a look. And that was all that it took. And it's kind of how it was. And I think figuring out that I was feeling all of these really big feelings, but nobody was talking about it made me wonder if anybody else was feeling those big things or if I was different. And now I've learned that obviously everybody feels emotions intensely and, you know, has those things going on, but they don't express them. And it became important to me from a pretty young age to have a place to express them in a safe way. And I think that's maybe what made me good at acting is that I was afraid to do it in my real life. And so being in front of a camera or on stage, you're, you can do whatever you want. You can act that character in whatever way that you feel or that you've figured out for it. And, um, I think it's a big part of it. I think it's a big part of it today, even though I've gotten better at being okay and expressing emotion that for a long time, it felt not okay. If that makes sense. What has acting taught you and what's the big takeaway? Gosh, it's taught me so many things. I think again, leading back to that self acceptance is it almost doesn't give you a choice. It's like, you are choosing to be on this camera and you're choosing to allow other people to look at you and look at you in whatever way they decide you look to them and judge you in whatever way they are going to judge you, regardless of the person that you are or the hard work that you've done or any of those things, who your family is or what may or may not hurt your feelings because you're not a person. At the end of the day, those aren't, you know, it's not a very human human thing. It's, it's removed. People go to movies to remove themselves from their real life and attach to other people's. And so they're allowed to say and think and anything that they want around that. And so eventually I just got to a point where I'm like, let them, who cares? Like that person thought I sucked. Okay. That person doesn't like me. Okay. And I just got to that point where it became too exhausting to hang on to other people's opinions. So one of the best lessons or best tools I think I have in my toolbox right now is just, I don't really care. Honestly, um, I make good choices and I make bad ones just like everybody else. And I'm really, really good sometimes. And I'm really, really bad other times. And that's just what my experience is. And I'm okay with that. And I think that I have acting and other people's judgments to thank for it and my own failures to thank for that. What made you leave? This is going to sound kind of basic, but (laughs) I left because I wanted to wake up in the same place every day and I wanted a boyfriend in a normal way and I wanted to get my coffee from the same people and go to the grocery store and not feel pressure and sort of fade into the background a little bit. I just, I get, I had this conversation recently too that I don't want people to look at me sort of, I just want to be hanging out and like everybody else. And I joke now it's like, I, I, you know, only comb my hair once a week or whatever. I'm usually in athletic clothes or have come off the trail and haven't taken a shower. And there were years where I would never have gone out in public like that. I'll stay that way for days now. (laughs) I'm like, I don't, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Um, So I actually do, I work harder to blend in at this point than to stand out when I can, when I have any control over it. And I think that's what it was. I just wanted a basic, quiet, healthy, focused, happy life. And 
for whatever reason right now, I'm choosing that to be a pretty mainstream, well, as mainstream as I can get um, existence. Acting's a pretty unstable lifestyle, even when you're great at it. There's a oh, lot of, horribly. You know, yeah. There's a lot of pull all over uh, from, from every kind of place you can think about. Yeah. And it sounds like you were coming into your own and were just seeking quote-unquote normalcy. We, we can define normalcy some other day and maybe add a few <laughs> psychologists on the show. But, yeah. but, but you know, without, without driving into that uh, in relative terms, you were, think, you were seeking something more stable. Yeah, I just wanted everyday, everyday stuff and hadn't had that in a long time. And, you know, we tend, it's ironic, we tend to crave the things that we don't have. And I may, you know, dive headfirst back into acting or move again or something at some point. But right now, I don't, I don't foresee that. I'm really happy 